the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. We'll be concluding our Colossians series called Don't Lose Your Head, this title being inspired by Colossians 2.19. The podcasts are posted at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. Today's conclusion, part eight, is called Lone Rangers or Team Players, as we finish tracing the idea of the supremacy of Christ in all things in this intriguing letter to the Colossian believers, a document some 2,000 years old, yet amazingly relevant to our time in history. The late pastor and theologian J. Hampton Keithley said it best over 20 years ago. Because of the rising tide of human philosophies confronting us today, no New Testament book speaks with more relevancy than the epistle to the Colossians. This is a day where, duped by the age-old lie of Satan, man still continues to believe in himself and his ability to solve his problems apart from God, as he's revealed in Scripture. Increasingly, our generation wants to take religion out of the realm of rational discourse and relegate it to the area of personal preference and opinions. The gods of the new age are always tolerant of sexual preferences, feminism, and hedonistic pleasures at almost any cost. Why shouldn't we each choose a religion that is compatible with our private values? Friends, this letter's original audience was a congregation, possibly more than one, since Paul requested it be read to the fellowship in Laodicea, per chapter 4, verse 16. And Epaphras had ties to fellowships in nearby Hierapolis, including those who met at Nymphus House. And this first century body of believers faced the same threats we Christ followers face in the 21st century on a continual basis, that being the infiltration of false teachings subtly creeping into our churches in the guise of truth, particularly embellishing on the truth that was once for all delivered, attaching strings, if you will, which in effect only diminish the truth. 
Paul's main goal in this letter has been to uphold the truth and safeguard the truth of Christ's supremacy in all things, per chapter 1, verse 18 and admonish these clusters of believers to beware that they don't lose the connection to their head, Jesus Christ, the Supreme One. Friends, it was Paul's custom to include at the close of his letters greetings to fellow Christians with whom he was associated in one way or another. So we see this in the closing 12 verses of Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18, which say... Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who's one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they've proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Friends, did you happen to notice how many people Paul acknowledges here, mentioning each by name and something quick about some of them? Ten people in this brief grouping concludes this Colossians letter. In similar fashion, in Romans 16, Paul extends greetings to 28 men and women. In 1 Corinthians 16, he refers to seven fellow workers. At the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4, he mentions nine people. In Titus chapter 3, Paul calls attention to four more people. Now, while some of these names overlap, when we collate all of Paul's letters along with the book of Acts, we find that over a hundred people are mentioned, people who've had some connection or affiliation to Paul's ministry. Friends, back in the early 60s, one of my favorite duos was Simon and Garfunkel. Who remembers them? And one of my favorite songs of theirs was I Am a Rock. Here's some of the lyrics. A winter's day in a deep and dark December, I am alone, gazing from my window to the streets below on a freshly fallen silent shroud of snow. I am a rock. I am an island. I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need for friendship. Friendship causes pain, and its laughter and its loving I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. Don't talk of love. I've heard the word before. It's sleeping in my memory. I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I never loved, I never would have cried. I'm a rock. 
I'm an island. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I am shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one, and no one touches me. I am a rock. I am an island, and a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. If any of you listeners today are either school teachers or literature buffs, you may have noticed the bridge between this song and the 17th century Christian poet John Donne's words written in 1624. No man is an island, entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. Then he goes on to say, Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Friends, one of the things that the Apostle Paul could never be accused of having is what I call the Lone Ranger Syndrome. I'll even bet you know some Christians who've been infected with this Lone Ranger Syndrome. You may be wondering, what's the Lone Ranger Syndrome? Well, I'm glad you asked, friends. In nearly 30 years of ministry, my wife and I have known a few Lone Rangers in the body of Christ. Now, to be fair, some Christians are Lone Rangers because of ignorance. They haven't yet gained a true understanding of the body of Christ and the vital connection they're supposed to have to both the head and the body. In other words, the church, the community established by Jesus himself to accomplish the will of God in these last days. But some Christians are Lone Rangers by choice, a choice usually driven by a bad or frustrating experience or a series of negative experiences in a church that cause them to develop the attitude. And friends, I've heard people actually say this. It's just me and you, Jesus. They throw their Bible under their arm and hightail it out of the church, muttering under their breath, I don't need you people. I can't deal with this anymore. I'm tired of it. You're all a bunch of hypocrites anyway. Someone once exclaimed, Oh, to dwell with saints above, the ones we love, that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, oh, well, that's another story. Paul's letter to the Colossians and his other letters simply mirror his mission philosophy. He's a team player. He rarely worked alone. The biblical records seem to portray him always having a strong team of people surrounding him who shared the work of the ministry and who with him also bore the burden of ministry. Now, friends, on first glance, these 12 verses in Colossians 4 probably are not high on your list. In other words, you likely won't be running to them on any regular basis to be ministered to in a deep way by the Holy Spirit. You see, our natural inclination might be to just skip over these remarks or even speed read through them, thinking they're somewhat insignificant compared to the earlier three chapters, which have all the meat. But this seemingly a consequential section actually teaches us that, aside from being a great evangelist, a soul winner, Paul was a great friend maker. And reading Paul's concluding comments here is for us like looking over his shoulder at his cherished photo album as he turns the pages to each snapshot, if you will, and recalls his memorable comments that he scribbled under each person's picture. Memorable comments that provide clues that give us added insight into what many of these people meant to Paul and what experiences knit them together as brothers and sisters in Christ. 
when Paul first reached for his photo album, we caught a glimpse of the cover, on which was handwritten this title, My Heroes in the Faith. For just a moment, Hebrews 11 flashes through our minds. Then we say to ourselves, just who are these heroes in the faith? What's so special about them? Is there any way we can know more things about these people? More than a line here and there that Paul scribbled? Well, the answer, friends, is a resounding, yes, there is. But before we dig into the biblical bios a bit, so to speak, let's remind ourselves just where Paul is at the time he writes this letter. You remember where he is, right? Yeah, he's in prison. Prison in Rome, actually. And in verse 7, Paul says that Tychicus will bring them all up to speed on his situation, which he doesn't go into much detail, but we can surmise that it probably means things like the status of his health, his general conditions there in the prison. And let me just say here, friends, that in Rome, Paul was under house arrest, now probably for two years, meaning that he had to subsidize his own rented quarters. He was also likely shackled to a Roman soldier, and the soldiers generally changed shifts every four to six hours. Hmm. Talk about a captive audience for the gospel. Here Paul was also permitted visitors. And we learn a lot of these details from Acts chapter 28, a chapter with which we should all become familiar. Tychicus would also brief the Colossians on Paul's hopes for a fair trial of the prospects or lack of them for his soon acquittal or dismissal. Now, friends, we must also realize that in these times it was dangerous to be a friend of a prisoner. Often the authorities looked with equal suspicion on friends of prisoners, especially for the Christians. Christians ran the risk of being viewed as subversive, undermining Roman society, and proselytizing, drawing people away from the prevailing pagan religions abounding in the empire. It took courage to align oneself with an alleged criminal and openly visit him in prison? Friends, this was a volatile environment to be in. So let's go behind the scenes for a moment and get a better glimpse of the friends Paul listed here in Colossians 4, 7-18. through 18. Tychicus. Tychicus came from the Roman province of Asia and was likely the dispatcher of his church's offerings to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. We glean this from Acts 20. He was also entrusted with delivering the Ephesian letter, which was originally a circular letter to its various destinations and congregations. We learn this from Ephesians 6. Tychicus may even have functioned as Paul's scribe or recording secretary, as he may have dictated the Colossian letter, adding his own tagline at the end, per, verse four, per chapter 4, verse 18. Romans 16 indicates Paul had a scribe for that letter. The end of 2 Thessalonians also hints at this common practice. Let's take a second look at what's said about Tychicus here in Colossians. Wouldn't you love to have this on your tombstone? He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Wow! Dear brother here is unfortunately a weak English equivalent. It should be beloved brother or dearly loved brother, since the word agape is used here, the Greek word for unselfish or unconditional love. The theme of love is sprinkled throughout this letter. Then Tychicus is called faithful. Faithfulness is also a theme in this letter. Remember how it begins? To God's holy people in Colossae faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Is faithfulness a hallmark of our lives, friends? <coughs> Excuse me. Tychicus is also a fellow servant. Servant in our English Bibles is a kind translation. The word is actually slave, and a slave of the lowest order, the doulos slave, who had no rights whatsoever, and who was totally at the beck and call of his master. Friends, is this kind of servanthood a hallmark of our lives as well? Tychicus is also spoken of as an encourager. Onesimus, look what's said about him. He's also our faithful and dear brother. Same words used. Now to get the scoop on Onesimus, we have to read that little letter called Philemon. And I'll leave that, I'll leave that for you to do. But I'll give you a teaser. Onesimus was a runaway slave who deserted his master. Somehow by the providence of God, he finds himself in Rome. Ding, ding, ding. And was led to Christ by Paul himself. Curiously, the name Onesimus means useful or profitable. Paul's compliment indicates that he became useful and profitable to Paul in his ministry, restricted as it was. Interestingly, instead of Paul referring to Onesimus as a runaway slave, he calls him a faithful and loving servant. Paul is so gracious here even fulfilling his own exhortation to the Colossians one verse before his greetings begin. Let your conversations always be full of grace. Paul sets the example. So, friends, is gracious conversation a hallmark of our lives? It's amazing what we're learning just from this list of people, isn't it? Aristarchus, he's referred to as a fellow prisoner. Fellow here is an interesting word derived from a prefix that means union, togetherness through close association, also companionship. From Acts 20, we learn that this guy was a Macedonian from Thessalonica, and scripture only gives us a few fleeting glimpses of him. But what we do learn is he was a good guy to have around, especially when you were in trouble. Acts 19 reveals that he was abducted along with the mob that rioted in the temple of Diana in Ephesus. Acts 27 tells us he was at Paul's side when he was escorted by boat to Rome as a prisoner. Now here he is at Paul's side again. Aristarchus is either here because he's aligned himself with Paul, resulting in him becoming a prisoner too, or Paul refers to him as a fellow prisoner because he's chosen to identify himself with Paul's circumstances and is ministering to him in a time of need. Wow. Aristarchus seems to be that person who comes along right at the time things seem the bleakest. This begs asking a two-sided question. Do we have someone like that in our lives? And are we someone like that in others' lives? Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Then there's this snippet, this short parenthetical remark about him. And to get the full details, friends, we must go to Acts chapters 13 through 15 for the backstory. And I'm going to leave that to you to do for your benefit. But I'll give you a little teaser. This gracious, self-controlled comment by Paul refers back to an explosive experience Paul and Peter had with Mark, who was enlisted to join them on their first missionary journey. Midway, Mark deserted them, and Paul swore he'd never take him on another mission. He was branded a quitter. But they eventually reconciled. Paul speaks well of Mark here in Philemon and in Second Timothy chapter 4. Please also look these verses up. 
But here again in Colossians 4, Paul's graciousness shines through like a beacon. We might deduce that Paul speaks favorably of Mark so as not to incur suspicion by the Colossians for someone Paul sent away previously. He evidently didn't want Mark's past failings to hinder his present opportunity for ministry. Friends, are we that gracious in words or deeds when it comes to our dealings with our fellow church members and ours and their failings? I wonder... What a challenge, huh? Then there's Jesus' justice. Only a snippet here. A co- or fellow worker for the kingdom of God. And a comforter. Fellow here is the same word used for Tychicus, meaning companion, someone in union with or in close association. This Jesus here evidently had his priorities in order. His priority was working for the kingdom of God, in union with and in cooperation with Paul. Remember my nickname for Colossians? The Book of Priorities. This Jesus also likely had the gift of comfort. This word means coming alongside someone to console them. Then there's Epaphras. Aside from Colossians 1, 7 and 8, and what Paul says here, you can learn all about him and what he meant to Paul by reading Philippians chapter 2. And I'll encourage you to do that. But let me just say this, for you prayer warriors out there, Epaphras is your patron saint of prayer. He wrestled or agonized in prayer for others. Then we have Luke, writer of both his gospel and acts. And for Paul, a trusted traveling companion, beloved friend and doctor. Then there's Demas. Virtually nothing is said about him here, except that he sends greetings. Demas was counted among the faithful originally. In Philemon, he's also called a fellow worker. But in 2 Timothy 4, he took a tailspin and deserted Paul to love this present world. One commentator referred to him as Paul's Judas. Sadly, he became a casualty of spiritual war. And Paul uses agape here, too. Demas spiraled down to agape this world. He gave himself over completely to the world. In the Colossian context, we could say that Demas lost connection to the head, Christ, and lost his sense of priorities, which became this present world instead of the world to come or the kingdom of God's Son, as Paul said in chapter 1. Winding down to the end of Paul's list is Nympha, a woman of spiritual maturity and stature, with material means to host a church in her house, which likely had an atrium to meet in. Friends, knowing the low status of women in the first century society, any mention of them by name meant they had a prominent role in ministry. Lastly, Archippus. Paul's Philemon letter is addressed to him, and he's called a fellow soldier. It's been suggested Archibus may have been put in charge of the church in Epaphras's absence, since he traveled back and forth to visit Paul in Rome. In verse 17, Paul may be exhorting Archibus to stay faithful to his ministry call. Perhaps he was getting discouraged over the false teachings infiltrating their church community. Here Paul acknowledges his call as coming from the Lord. Complete here includes the idea of fulfilling the duty of an office and seeing a task through to completion. Paul's ending words include wishing this church community grace, where he began. Grace functions like bookends in this letter, and in this brief concluding greeting, 
Paul sprinkles themes he's woven throughout the letter proper, like priority living, the supremacy of Christ, living for things above, being a team player in the kingdom's work. Every person mentioned had their priorities in order, the supremacy of Christ uppermost in their mind and mission, and worked cooperatively with Paul in ministry to fulfill the Great Commission. Friends, the glory of the church is that every one of us, as inadequate and broken as we all are, can lock arms and shields with our fellow brothers and sisters who are just as inadequate and broken, and together we can reflect and project that the living Christ is living amongst us. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of today's program. Our broadcast will close with an email where you may write me and share what these programs mean or have meant to you. I truly appreciate those of you who write in and share your feedback on programs that have impacted you in some way. Your encouraging comments mean a lot. And please remember, friends, all of the podcasts of A Word from the Word are accessible at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. Share these podcasts with family or friends who may be touched, blessed, or even challenged by these teachings. And friends, please keep in mind that A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program. So if it's blessing you, please join the support team, especially now during these challenging financial times. Supporters like you, who are giving faithfully and sacrificially, are keeping this program on the air. Just email me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the Word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.